Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and we're back with the fourth and final part of our series on the healing waters, the belief held by many throughout history that you could cure your illnesses and improve your health by bathing or immersing yourself in water, often water uh, of, of with special properties, maybe water of a certain temperature like hot baths or cold baths or water from a special source such as a particular warm mineral spring. Now, uh, in previous episodes, as a, as a brief refresher, we talked about the prehistoric emergence of bathing culture and uh, the ancient religious associations between bathing and spiritual purity. In the realm of healing, we talked about ancient Greek and Roman theories of medicine, such as humoral theory, which uh, sometimes had the consequence of recommending bathing as a cure for all sorts of health problems. Uh, we also talked about the importance of baths and spas in the culture and civic infrastructure of the Roman Empire. We discussed some interesting and strange examples of spas with alleged healing powers that contain living organisms, such as bloodworms or fish that are themselves thought to in some way be a mechanism of healing. And in the episode just previous to this one, we discussed uh, an, I thought, fascinating medical history paper uh, from a few decades back analyzing records of treatment that made use of the thermal waters of Bath, England. And this paper argued that while, yeah, most of the conditions people thought could be cured by bathing in hot springs throughout history were probably just benefiting from the placebo effect, there is pretty decent evidence for thinking that the uh, immersion treatments at Bath were genuinely directly effective at curing paralysis caused by chronic lead poisoning because, according to the author, sitting up to your neck in warm water increases the rate at which your body purges lead content through urine. 
Anyway, after all that, we're back today to finish off this series uh, with a few more interesting tidbits. Now, one of the things I did want to briefly talk about is that a lot of the mineral springs with alleged healing powers that uh, we've mentioned so far have been in places that were formerly part of the Roman Empire. And I think this should not be surprising given the importance of bathing in Roman culture in general, but especially uh, in the, the Greek and Roman theories of medicine we discussed in the previous parts of the series. And in fact, you can still see like the, the lingering effects of this. There are alleged healing spas all throughout Europe that, that go way, way back, that can be traced back to Roman times. But I don't think we should assume that the association of uh, some forms of bathing with healing is just like an odd, unique belief contingent on some amount of Roman cultural heritage, because I, I think it seems that people in many places around the world at various times have come to think that they can be healed by bathing, uh, by bathing in general or through the specific waters of some particular mineral spring. Uh, and so you can find examples of this from around the world. There was one that I ended up doing kind of a deep dive on. I was reading about the uh, Kitagata Hot Springs of Uganda. Hmm. So the Kitagata Hot Springs are a they're a system of geothermal springs in southwest Uganda. Uh, I've seen the name Kitagata translated as both warm water and as warm place or good place. Uh, and there is a town of the same name located about two kilometers northwest of the springs. And these waters are said to collect in two side-by-side -side pools, and they are believed by many to have healing properties. So much so that they are, or at least they were as of the sources I was reading, which uh, were some uh, Ugandan newspaper articles from uh, roughly 10 years ago or so. At that time, they were being visited by hundreds of people every day, both locals and tourists, uh, tourists from within Uganda and tourists uh, internationally. And I was reading about uh, the springs in a, in a series of articles from a Ugandan English language newspaper called New Vision, which is based out of Kampala. So one of the articles is called The Healing Hot Springs. It was published in February 2014 by Chris Mugasha. And uh, in this article, the author actually describes a visit he had to the springs and describes some basic facts about them and sort of how they're used by the people. Um, so, Rob, I attached some pictures of the Kitagata Springs. You can see that they are surrounded by some very interesting rock formations. I don't know exactly what sort of geology forms the, the rocks like this, but you can see that all around the pools there are these uh, strange, beautiful, interesting kind of like crags poking up in all directions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sense of um, the, like the rocks being burst out by swelling from beneath. Yeah. So uh, according to Mugash's article here, the, the springs are divided into a section that's used by men and then a section used by women and children. And uh, and then also there are some people who don't actually want to stay and bathe in person with everybody else. And they uh, he says they, they bring jerry cans and fill them up with hot spring water to carry back home. Uh, and the thermal pools also vary by temperature. There's one area that apparently has comfortably warm water, while the other has water that the author describes as hot enough to prepare porridge or cook an egg. Yeah, this is a feature of various hot springs that I was reading about. You know, just because it's a hot spring doesn't mean you can or should get into it. Um, there are some very dangerous hot springs out there in the world, um, uh, and uh, you should definitely obey any signage or rules and regulations surrounding them. But then there are also plenty of complexes where if you know the right place to go, 
uh, in, in a spring complex, then you'll be all right uh, because that's where the water will be warm and not uh, you know, hot enough to cook eggs. Right. And it seemed from what I was reading that the area with water hot enough to cook an egg may still be used for some things, but I doubt people are like getting in that water and hanging out there for a long time because you don't want to be the egg. Mm-hmm. Though this is inter- this uh, this this topic, this is not something I, I researched, but this might be something we might have to put a pin in to come back to in discussing like the history of cooking, uh, you know, because we've talked about the importance of of natural springs, both hot and cold, to ancient peoples. Uh, I, I wonder how this factors or doesn't factor into the history of of boiling uh, as a cooking method. Hmm. I have no idea, but that that is an interesting question. Yeah, maybe before we we had fire, did anybody ever try to like boil their food in a hot spring? I don't know what evidence of that there would be left over yeah. if they did. Yeah, that would be the thing, right? Anyway, uh, so the author here says that people visit the springs for multiple reasons. So some people, it's it seems to be just recreational. People come for pleasure and relaxation in the hot waters. Maybe they come after work to, to chill out or they come to admire the area's natural beauty. Uh, but he says that the majority of people there are looking for healing of some kind. Uh, and an earlier article in the same newspaper I read in New Vision, uh, this article was by uh, Ali Waswa from August 2013, mentions people coming to the springs hoping for cures to a wide range of health issues, both minor and severe. So this includes everything from acne to cancer. And while many people claim to have experienced improvements after bathing in the water, Waswa's article cites um, some doubts about the efficacy of these cures from a researcher named Moses Kakaya, who was affiliated with an organization called Save for Health Uganda. Uh, that appears to be a, a Ugandan public health NGO. And the article says that uh, this team investigated the springs and said they found the waters had no special healing properties. Uh, Mugash's article mentions that to the extent the waters do have any healing properties, if they do, those could possibly be based in specific mineral contents of, of the water. Uh, we've discussed some possibilities of those kinds with, with other springs, but also that the claims of healing could simply be from the heat of the water, feeling good, alleviating pain and swollen joints and things like that, or just from easing stress, you know, helping people relax and other, uh, quote, psychotherapeutic effects. Mm. Now, this article and another article also by Mugasha from the month before uh, mention threats to the springs, which is something I think we we haven't really thought about that much yet, but that hot springs are not necessarily an an eternal phenomenon or even a, a semi-eternal phenomenon, because even though they are heated by you know, the rocks from deep down below, um, they, uh, you know, they still are subject to hydrodynamic effects. And so like changes of what's going on, where water drains, where water goes can affect how a hot spring works. And so these two articles mention uh, uh, some, some threats to the springs. So the article from a month before by the same author uh, reports complaints from locals that construction from a nearby highway has had negative effects on the springs. Basically, it seems that uh, they're claiming water from a nearby wetland system was diverted because of road work, and this has led to flooding of the spring. And of course, flooding of the spring is like mixing water from other sources, which causes the water to become tepid. Oh, Uh, nobody wants to travel to a tepid spring. Yeah, and the later article by Mugasha also uh, 
mentions uh, changes in weather patterns due to climate change possibly having an effect because uh, changing rain patterns mean that the increased flooding of the nearby river uh, also means that it runs over into the spring. And this results, I think if I'm understanding right, once again, with the river water coming into the spring water and, and, you know, kind of like diluting it. Yeah, absolutely. To your point, I mean, these uh, springs like this are in environmental conditions and they can be altered uh, either intentionally or accidentally. Exactly. And so th- this article describes uh, people who were local people who were trying to protect the spring, having to like uh, stack up essentially uh, sort of sandbags, like bags of gravel mm-hmm. to try to block the flow, the inflow of water from other sources into the spring. Oh, wow. Now, I was trying to find a scientific paper uh, directly testing the alleged healing properties of this spring in particular, because, again, you know, one of the articles mentions an investigation by that uh, Ugandan public health NGO uh, about its uh, medical properties. I didn't come across anything, so I I can't comment with any confidence about whether these springs would have uh, any, any health effects other than placebo. But especially since that paper we read in the last episode, arguing that that spa therapy could have actual effects on chronic lead poisoning in particular. Uh, and again, that was uh, the, the argument was that it worked by increasing the rate at which lead is purged from the body through urine. Um, I wonder, you know, I wonder if there are other conditions where people might be getting some health improvements through a surprising mechanism other than just maybe, say, you know, the, the very real effects of relaxing in nice warm water. Yeah, you always have to at least keep the uh, keep the door open to such a possibility, even if it, in many cases it seems perhaps unlikely based on what we understand currently. Mm-hmm. Now, as long as we're speaking about um, you know other international examples of of healing waters, uh, I, I felt like we should at least acknowledge that the River Ganges in India and Bangladesh has long been held as a traditional place of healing via immersion. Again, not not a natural, uh, you know, spring, hot spring, cold spring, et cetera, but but uh, a great river. Yeah, this is actually a subtopic that I became very interested in when we first started looking at uh, the series. But then I I got kind of overwhelmed and I was like, oh, it seems like the Ganges would have to be a, an an entire series on its own. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so much to it. Uh, you've uh, you've got glacier snow and permafrost melt. You've got discussions of uh, supposedly beneficial bacteriophages, antibiotic resistant bacteria that are that are not beneficial. Then you have you have to deal with uh, topics such as pollution, uh, as well as all of this on top of a rich tradition of religious significance. So yeah, I think it's it's something we'd have to come back to and cover in more depth in the future. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we didn't want to give the impression that we were just overlooking it. Right. Now, another example of uh, of spring and spa culture I wanted to bring up just, just briefly uh, is, of course, Japan. Japan has a very rich tradition of spas and thermal springs. And I believe we previously alluded to the Japanese macaques uh, who uh, famously immerse themselves in hot springs uh, and, and also do so communally. So that's a great example of non-human primates engaging in this very activity that humans uh, have enjoyed for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've read that there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 hot spring sources or onsen throughout Japan. Um, I got an email recently about a, a tour of hot springs in Japan, 18 days long. Uh, <laughs> looked looked am- amazing, but just, you know, basically shows that, yeah, you can travel to Japan and largely just do hot springs and it'll be enough uh, to, to fill 18 days uh, worth of travel. 
Now, one in particular that I thought was pretty interesting, and I have to I have to stress this is not actually an example of a uh, spring system where you can do much or really any bathing, but it's called Chinoki Jigoku, and it's in Beppu, Japan. And here you'll find the eight hells of Beppu. I think I've sometimes seen the count as seven, but I I believe eight is the right count. There's and these are translated, of course, from the Japanese. There's sea hell, white uh-huh. pond hell, uh-huh. devil mountain hell, mountain Ooh. hell, alligator hell, cooking pot hell, which this is actually a case, uh, cooking pot hell. These are all thermal springs. And as the, and as the name implies, many of them are really hot. Uh, cooking pot hell is where you can actually cook food. And there, there's a longstanding tradition of cooking food in this particular uh, thermal spring. There's tornado hell. And then there is blood pond hell or bloody hell pond. Is it red? It is very red. Yeah, you can look yeah. up pictures of this. Um, it's uh, it's all it's too hot to get into. It's uh, it's basically hot enough to cook food in itself. Uh, it has a, a deep red color that I believe is due to both like clay content and iron oxide. I would have assumed red bacteria. Uh, all of these um, these hells, all these ponds, uh, they, these are tourist destinations. You can go and visit them. And I think they have, if I'm understanding correctly from the information I was looking at, they have smaller pools for like soaking your feet in as a visitor. So even though you can't stick your feet directly into many of these hells, and I think alligator hell has actually has alligators in it. Um, oh. uh, and you don't want to stick your feet in there either. But um, uh, at any rate, they do have some smaller uh, pools that I guess are fed or partially fed by the actual spring waters that you can uh, get your feet wet in. I had no idea there were alligators in Japan. They might be imported. I'm, ah. I'm not sure what their uh, their status is. Oh, interesting. There are definitely alligators here, no matter where they came from. I don't care where your alligators come from. <laughs> I just want there to be alligators. There have got to be alligators in alligator hell. Yes, and, and I, I believe they, they, they come through on that front. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, let's get back into the healing waters, though, away from the alligator waters and the egg-boiling waters. Uh, so we, we've, we've already talked a bit in these episodes about uh, traditional healing waters potentially having something specific in them, something in the contents of the waters that enable healing in human bathers. And in some cases these springs end up having something in them that uh, some cases where uh, a particular element in the water is also utilized in modern medical treatments one way or the other. So it's tempting to wonder, well, if these springs maybe offer the same benefits for those who simply immerse themselves in the water or drink of the waters. Okay, so not that this would happen, but for example, it would be like, uh, you know, uh, acetaminophen is the uh, is the active ingredient in Tylenol. And then maybe we discover, oh, there is a spring that naturally has acetaminophen <laughs> content in it. And you wonder if we're, we're people like getting their their pre Tylenol Tylenol from this spring. Oh, well, well that would that would be a bad idea for a number of <laughs> obvious reasons yeah. there. Uh, thinking about you know, controlled dosages of something in a general medication versus uh, how much are you getting out of the water, how much are you, if you're drinking it or potentially absorbing it through your skin. Yes, calibration of dosage would, would seem to be a big problem with, uh, yeah. with this. So, so definitely something to keep in mind as we go into a couple of specific examples. And I think they're both pretty fun specific examples, too, in that they both have connections to our home state of Georgia here in the United States. We don't often get to cover things that, uh, are, are, um, uh, that are present in Georgia or Georgia history. So we're going to start with lithia water. This is mineral water marked by the presence of lithium salts. Now, mm. to be clear, most of what we're talking about with lithia water concerns its consumption. 
though I have read that Sweetwater Park Hotel, this is a luxury resort which operated in Lithia Springs, Georgia, uh, during the heyday of lithium water tourism in Georgia's Douglas County, also offered lithia vapor baths which were said to be very popular. Uh, I included um, an, an old uh, illustration of what this, I guess, may have consisted of for you here, Joe. Okay, so what we're looking at here appear to be wooden boxes in which uh, men are situated with their heads poking out of a hole in a wooden plank. So it's like they're in a pillory, um, <laughs> but they're, well, I guess without the wrists poking out. So it's just the head poking out of the pillory, and then there is steam shooting out of the, the edges of the box. So you can you can tell it must be quite warm and moist on the inside. Yes. Now, now none of this is, is going on today. Uh, but um, I don't know. Do you ever make it up to Sweetwater Creek State Park, Joe? This is the, the same, oh, yes. same area. Yeah. 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 It's a great place. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful place. But uh, back in the day, uh, back at the like the the the, uh, the end of the um, 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, uh, this was a very popular destination for well-to-do folks such as the Vanderbilts, such as Mark Twain. This particular Sweetwater Park Hotel was again a luxury resort. People came from all over to uh, partake of the uh, of the healing powers of lithia waters. Uh, the hotel burned down in 1912, so uh, it, you know it's not even there as a, as a historical location anymore. This is funny that you mentioned Mark Twain because he also came up in a in a research tangent that I ended up not including. But he he wrote a piece about a, a place uh, like a spa he went to somewhere in Europe. I think it was in France, and it's called I don't even know how to pronounce the name of this place. The name it was called A I X. Do you know how you say that? I do not. Uh, let's call it I. He went to <laughs> he went to I in. I think it's France, uh, and he wrote a, a piece about it called "I Paradise of the Rheumatics." <laughs> so I guess Twain was into various kinds of like hot, wet healing. Yeah, well, and he was he was very well traveled for the day. Yeah. So I was reading a little bit more about this uh, this whole fad around lithia waters, and I was reading uh, a paper titled "Lithium Treatment in Clinical Medicine: History, Current Status, and Future Use," published in the Journal of Cell Science and Therapy in 2017 by Duval and Galicio. And uh, th- this was interesting. Uh, point out that lithia water became a health fad around 1850, and was especially big in again the late 1800s and early 1900s. It was thought to treat gout, anxiety, various nervous conditions, and a whole slew of other ailments. So a similar situation that we found, you know, discussing any of these healing waters. What does it treat? Well, what you got going on? <laughs> right, a lot of things. Though it's interesting they mentioned gout because that did come up in the paper uh, about bath, specifically as uh, one of the lead poisoning-associated uh, conditions that, that the physicians at bath thought could be cured by long periods of immersion. But another thing about gout at Bath was one of the purposes of uh, like recording all this data at the charity hospital there uh, to, to say, you know, we, we really can prove that these waters are, are providing a benefit was to try to uh, attract rich patients who had gout. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, is often referred to as the disease of kings, right? Yeah, the yeah. Disease of the, uh, the, the upper class clientele. Yeah. Now, the authors note here that though, even though there was you know, this boom in lithia water and the healing powers of lithium, uh, the authors note that there was almost no mention of lithium in psychiatry papers of the time. Mm-hmm. So bottling lithia waters became big business. 
uh, but it took a serious dive in the U.S. when the U.S. government got involved. So the U.S. Bureau of Chemistry, this was a precursor to the FDA, they examined the waters on the market, the lithia waters, and, there's, and there was lithia waters coming from lithia springs in Georgia, but also from other places. Um, and they, uh, they, they tested these waters out, and they found that they contained little to no lithium, and it was concluded that whatever results people were experiencing were mainly due to just drinking water. Oh, that's interesting. And um, <laughs> yeah, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like earlier in the last episode. Like even if the treatment itself is doing nothing else, then perhaps you're drinking more water than usual. Um, you're drinking less beer or what have you. Yeah, yeah. So when this happened, when, when uh, the U.S. Bureau of Chemistry chimed in, well, lithium proponents, they pivoted more to the use of lithium tablets, which the authors here point out could be properly measured. You know, you could be a little more certain about how much lithium you're giving people. But then there was kind of like a power creep with, with the, uh, the lithium tablets. The, the concentrations increased and the dangers of lithium toxicity became more apparent, all while the actual therapeutic properties of lithium consumption seemed just unverifiable. So therapeutic use of lithium eventually just went out of fashion. Uh, I found a couple of the original scathing reviews of lithium water from the time period collected in The Checkered History of Lithium in Medicine by Strobush and Jefferson in 1980's Pharmacy and History, Volume 22, Number 2. Mm-hmm. Let's hear these reviews. Oh, yeah, they're good. So the U.S. Bureau of Chemistry said at the time in a review by Charles Harrington, M.D., quote, This water claims to be a cure for almost all ills to which flesh is heir, and to contain over 14 grains of lithium salts per gallon. It proves to be an exceedingly hard water, practically free from organic matter, absolutely free from lithia, but rich in undesirable lime salts. (laughs) Priceless. Yeah, it really brings the hammer down. Um, And then there's another case. The Supreme Court of the District of Columbia uh, had this to say concerning waters from Buffalo Lithia Springs, Virginia at the time. Quote, For a person to obtain a therapeutic dose of lithium by drinking Buffalo Lithia water, he would have to drink from 150,000 to 225,000 gallons of water per day. It was further testified without contradiction that Potomac River water contains five times as much lithium per gallon as the water in controversy. Oh, amazing. So, like, the one thing you can be sure about with lithium water is that it doesn't really have any lithium. Yeah, yeah. again, these were, this, this was, these were the findings at the time. Uh-huh. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned lithium went out of fashion as a, as a uh, health treatment or a mood treatment, because while I'm certainly not on the cutting edge of uh, uh, psychopharmacology, I, I do believe that lithium has been used in the modern era as a, as a psychiatric treatment, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that I guess can, for us, like retroactively, can be kind of confusing about all of this because uh, be, because lithium does become uh, an important uh, treatment, uh, specifically for bipolar disorder. Uh, this wasn't discovered until 1949. That's when American psychiatrist John Cade discovered that it could be used as a mood stabilizer uh, for bipolar disorder, uh, as opposed to resorting to lobotomy or electroconvulsive therapy, which were kind of the standards of the day. So that was 1949. The treatment became more prominent uh, and more covered by, I believe, uh, 1952. 
and it was approved by the FDA in the 1970s. And uh, I've I've read that it remains an effective treatment, though the authors um, of this particular paper uh, about the history of of lithium as a treatment, uh, they point out that it still remains in some circles somewhat controversial due to toxicity and side effects. So, um, you know, it's, I guess, with a, it's a similar case with a lot of medications. You know, it's like there's, uh, it, it has a definite usage, but you also have to be aware of the potential side effects to it. And some discussion still remains. Yeah. So to come back to wondering if Lithia Water Springs could have offered relief to individuals suffering from specific neurological maladies, I don't know. Again, I, you know, no, no expert on any of this, but it seems iffy based on what we've looked at, mainly because of concentration issues with the water itself and the risk of toxicity and side effects if higher quantities were obtained from the water, which it doesn't seem like is necessarily the case with any of these naturally occurring lithia spring waters. I mean, it seems like from what you've been talking about that carefully managing dosage of lithium is one of the crucial factors in modern prescriptions. And so, like, if, if you're just gulping down water that has some questionable amount of lithium content, that seems like you're either maybe not getting enough for it to make much of a difference or you risk getting too much and that is highly toxic. Yeah. And I just I don't think the concentrations uh, in uh, just out there in, in the naturally occurring spring waters would be high enough to even really register for you. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Now, you can still buy and drink Lithia waters from, from different springs, though it's not held up as I think the miracle cure it once was. Um, though, I don't know, it, it kind of depends on branding and fads, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. From what I can tell, it contains uh, lithium by the micrograms, though, rather than the milligrams, which would be involved in therapeutic doses. So I think you'd find yourself, even with, with you know, definite lithium water that you might uh, purchase, you'd still have to drink those, um, those gallons of it, those hundreds of thousands of gallons of it per day to get the levels that would reach anything like a therapeutic dosage. Now, uh, on this count of uh, concerning uh, lithia spring water, thanks to our listener, Sean, for writing in on this, uh, concerning a particular Irish well, uh, the well at Glen Nanealt. I've, I've read that this area is also called Valley of the Mad and may date back to the 12th century. Uh, I don't know what the lithium levels are at this well. I couldn't find any data on that. But I don't know. Based on what we've looked at, I think it's a safe bet that it did not contain or does not contain therapeutic amounts of lithium. Uh, and that the connection here is just a coincidence. Hmm. Um, uh, but and, and also worth noting that lithium springs in North America likewise tend to predate any modern medical or scientific understanding and were utilized by indigenous peoples uh, mm-hmm. long before the arrival of Westerners. Well, that was a very interesting digression. What else have you got for me? Oh, well, we should also talk about, uh, about potentially radioactive spring waters. Nothing better for your gout than radioactive <laughs> spring waters. Yeah, specifically radium springs. So uh, to refer, we've talked about radium on the show before, but radium is a highly radioactive alkaline earth metal discovered in 1898 by Pierre and Marie Curie. They discovered it by noting the radioactivity in uh, pitch blend, a uh, radioactive uranium-rich mineral, relative to the uranium it actually contains. They refined several tons of this stuff, uh, of residues, down to 0.1 grams of pure radium by 1902, and they isolated radium in 1910. Now, radium is important historically, you know, tying into um, uh, the work of the, the Curies here, but its commercial uses have long been very limited. So formerly, it was used in the creation of radioluminescent devices. And it was also formerly used in the medical treatment of cancer, but has largely been replaced by stronger and less costly artificial radioisotopes. Uh, one particular example of the, the uh, radioluminescent uh, uh, topic here, there was a luminous paint known as Undark, created by the United States Radium Corporation, noted for its connection to the, um, the so-called radium girls, factory workers who contracted radiation poisoning from painting with the stuff. Yes, and that is a ghastly story if you want to go read more about it. Uh, the the luminescent radium paints were used to, like, uh, maybe illuminate the watch hands on, you know, the dials on uh, on little clocks and watches and stuff and mm-hmm. for other glow-in-the-dark purposes. And it was glowing because the phosphorescent elements in the paint were being uh, bombarded by <laughs> radiation from the, the mm-hmm. radium content. Uh, so, yeah, obviously that was not good for humans. Yeah, but at the time, uh, this was, uh, we have to you know, put things in context. In, in the early 20th century, there was a great deal of radium fever 
going on. And there was also not much in the way of regulation of the stuff. So there were more than a few medical quacks out there, uh, you know, jumping in to make some money off of the radium craze. So you sell products like uh, Radithor salts for supposed medicinal use or the radium or Revigator. Uh, This was a radium-lined water vessel for your drinking water. But then on, on the same count, you also saw various products that either couldn't or, or did, just didn't actually put radium into the product, but really wanted a slice of the, the, the pie. So they included radium in the brand name, such as Radium Brand Creamery Butter. Uh, <laughs> this is a, an actual 1930s product. I included the, the label here for you, Joe, with this beautiful image of these 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 cattle uh, drinking from uh, some sort of a, a pond or perhaps naturally occurring spring. Uh, the sun is rising or setting in the background, and it says radium brand creamery butter. Now, can I hope that this butter had just as much radium content as the li- bottled lithia water actually had lithium content, meaning none? <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, this apparently had no actual radium in it, but it was just getting in on the excitement. Like radium equals health. And therefore, you know, there was nobody to, to say you couldn't or shouldn't do this. Um, and there are numerous examples of this sort of marketing, including uh, the non-radioactive radium Nutex condoms of the day. Oh, but again, not actually made with radium. Right. And there, there are other examples of, of actually radioactive quack products from the 20th century, including the German Doramud radioactive toothpaste that was made using uh, thorium. Uh, this was an actual product, and you can see some alarming-looking, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, poster uh, promotional art for this product as well. Now, all of these uh, quackery uses of radium are bad ideas because it has no beneficial role in the human body. It's radioactive. It's toxic. You don't need to be consuming radium salts. Right. There, there's not, like, a hidden upside. Right. But, again, given the enthusiasm for radium during the first half of the 20th century, it should also come as no surprise that people were also game to bathe in the stuff. So the big one here is, uh, is, is not in Georgia. It is in what is now the Czech Republic. Radium Palace, which opened in 1912. It replaced a smaller spa on the property and cashed in hard on radium enthusiasm. Uh, Atlas Obscura refers to the palace as the birthplace of radio balneology. It ignited a fad in spas around the world, anywhere where, where there were already naturally occurring springs. If you found that they, there was any kind of radium content to the waters, well, lo and behold, you have a new way to market your, your spa, a new way to market your spring water. Radium Palace and its waters fell out of fashion after the Second World War, but the hotel was apparently refurbished in the 1990s, and uh, it's a rather stunning-looking building, and it still offers radium-based treatments, though they're apparently limited by uh, contemporary maximum-permitted levels of radiation doses. But on the same level, this looks like a very attractive resort, so (laughs) we kind of have to take, it's kind of like going back to our discussion of Bath, like, is it you know, they're, they're the communal factors, the placebo factors of everything, uh, uh, the whole scenario. So, so I don't know. But coming back to our home state of Georgia, uh, Georgia also got in on the action with Radium Springs. Uh, radium, uh, this is uh, still called Radium Springs, Georgia. 
the spa here was already a retreat destination in the early 20th century, offering gambling and naturally occurring hot spring waters. So you had a lot of folks that would come down from the colder northern states during the winter, and they'd enjoy like uh, the pleasant temperatures of just um, southern Georgia during the winter, but also these hot springs. It was known as Blue Springs at the time, but then in 1925, they discovered radium in the water and they rebranded thus Radium Springs. Wow. And you can still visit it. I, I actually looked it up and uh, I was thinking, well, maybe I could go down there. But then I realized it was like a four-hour drive one way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe, maybe it wouldn't fit into the work week all that well. But you can still v- visit the grounds here and it looks, uh, it looks, looks rather beautiful. So the supposed health benefits of radium spring uh, soaking of radium spring spa water, I think in general is pretty dubious. Uh, though I suppose it's conceivably safe if one is still below the, the the maximal permissible level of exposure. But yeah, otherwise, I don't suppose you'd really get much out of the experience, uh, again, other than just sort of the set and setting of the whole thing. Uh-huh. It's worth noting that, uh, of course, there, there are multiple springs uh, at Ramsar uh, in Iran containing radium and thorium. And uh, this area is known as the, the most naturally radioactive place on Earth. Uh, the springs here are also used uh, uh, as spas. And I think we, again, have to put them in the larger historic context. People have, have been coming here for a, a very long time and continue to come to, to Ramsar uh, in, in order to enjoy these spring waters. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, th- th- these, are, these are places that were special and important, uh, again, before modern science came along to determine exactly what was going on uh, in the contents of the water. I'd be very interested to hear from anyone out there who's had experiences uh, in in a in a radium spring, uh, what you thought of it? What what the the sort of cell on it was? What the grounds were like? Uh, I, I think it's it's fascinating. I have not had the experience myself. Yes, uh, same here. But it's interesting how this has just kind of like opened up a door into this world of all the strange little uh, quirky local thermal springs all all over the world. Uh, so it, it makes me think we're maybe going to get some really good listener mail about this series. Uh, oh I yeah. Hear, I want to hear about your your strange local thermal springs and spas and what what's the backstory? What goes on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of them have some very rich traditions behind them. Um, uh, perhaps some some quirky history in places and and some uh, you know alleged healing properties. Uh, so yeah, we've already heard from uh, at least a, a few listeners. Uh, so certainly keep it coming. We'd, uh, we'd we'd love to to dive into these over the next several listener mail episodes. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and close it out for today. But we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Uh, so you know, definitely write in. Uh, just a reminder that Stuff to Blow Your Mind publishes its core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have a short form artifact or monster fact episode on Wednesdays. On Mondays, we do the listener mail, and on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks to our audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 